Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. When you say study Torah, are we just talking about reading the words, or are we talking about the discussion? Is that all considered studying Torah? Even does God want you to be, be saying, I, I don't understand this, and why is this? As a matter of fact, with the exception of the five books of Moses, which even if you don't understand it, you can make a blessing. That's why anyone who's called up to the Torah makes a blessing, even if he has clueless what he's about to read. The oral Torah, unless you understand what you're learning, you're not allowed to make a blessing. It's a blessing in vain. What is considered studying Torah is if you study, if you understand it. And you have to understand it. When you study a Torah and you say, Rashi had a question, Taisus had a question. That's a very interesting historical fact. Taisus had a question. Do you have a question? <laughs> Does it make sense to you? That's the only question. That's the only issue. You have to study Torah that it has to be your question. It has to bother you. Does it trouble you? Have you really thought about this very well? And the more you think about it, suddenly Taisus' question becomes your question. It makes no sense to me. And when Taisa says Vakarsha, Vatema, it becomes your question. It, it makes no sense. I, I don't understand this. And then when he gives an answer, when Abbeinu Tam or the Ri or one of the give an answer, it has to be your answer. It has to make sense to you. Otherwise, that's not called learning Torah. Learning Torah has to engage your mind. You have to understand it and understand it honestly. It doesn't make sense to me or it doesn't make sense to me. But when you're studying Torah, when you're doing that, it's not just an intellectual exercise not playing chess or figuring out, figuring out a logical puzzle or mathematical problem you are studying the divine at that moment you become a reflection of God's absolute unity the Zohar states that the Torah and God are completely one there are three aspects of Torah one is it's a mitzvah it's an obligation just like it's an obligation to light the candle obligation to put on the tefillin obligation to give tzedakah there's an obligation to study Torah but then, in addition, the mitzvah of studying Torah is, is a comprehensive mitzvah. Because without the mitzvah of studying Torah, there's no way I can fulfill all the other mitzvahs. Without knowledge, without information. Unless, without awareness, if you remain ignorant, there's no way you can fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. So the, the mitzvah of studying Torah is a, is a general mitzvah. And it enables us to fulfill all the other mitzvahs. But then there's the third aspect of studying Torah. We're learning Torah is an end in itself. Learning Torah, you're not just to study Torah in order to fulfill a mitzvah or in order to be able to fulfill the rest of the mitzvah, the other 612 mitzvah, but just the studying of Torah because Torah connects us with God. Torah unites us with God like nothing else. Torah is the design. When Hashem is sitting and has His idea, so to speak. And you're participating in that level. You're participating on the design level. You're sitting and discussing with Hashem. His vision is designed for the world. You become unified with the, with the architect himself. It's a much deeper unity. It's not just you become unified because you're fulfilling the will of God and you're implementing His will and you're fulfilling His will and you become unified with His will. When you study Torah, you become one with God himself. How does this reconcile with what Moshe said? I mean, Hashem passed by said that you can't see my face how can you really understand God's mind that's a brilliant question that's why the Torah is compared to water because the nature of water is that it flows from the peak all the way to the bottom it'll find water will find 
the lowest common place. So the nature of water is that it flows from the top down. But when water flows from the top down, it's the very same water that was on top. That very same water ends up on the bottom. And that's why the Torah is compared to water. Because God took His mind, the divine mind, His infinite mind, and only God can do this. But God condensed His mind and expressed His mind in language that man can understand, that man can relate to in the Torah, which is language that we can relate to. It's stories, it's words, it's letters, it's concepts. You know, we talk about thing, material things, agricultural law, civil law. These are all things that we can relate to. But what are we dealing with here? We're not dealing with, this is not just law. This is not just physics. This is not just mathematics. This is not just agriculture. You're dealing here with a divine mind. When you study Torah, your mind is engaged and occupied in the very same thing that engages God's mind. The entire creation, as we learned earlier, is insignificant to God. It doesn't engage God's mind. It doesn't even begin to engage. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. It's completely nullified. It's almost like a God can't even find it within himself. Even his ability to create is a completely insignificant and nullified within God. But the Torah, this engages God's mind. So when you study Torah, doesn't matter which aspect of Torah, whether you're learning civil law, whether you're learning agriculture, whether you're learning anything in Torah, your mind is engaged in the very same thing that, that engages God's mind, but in a language a man can understand. And that's, that's the, the miracle, the gift of Torah, because it speaks in the language of man, so we can wrap our minds around it, we can grasp it, we can, it can engage our mind fully, you're grasping something that's inherently infinite. This is the water that has journeyed and traveled, but retained, just like water. The water on the bottom is the very same water that was on top. It retained its divinity, retained its infinite. God is able to condense His infinite mind, His infinite self in, into the Torah. The Torah speaks our language. But we have to remember that every word in the Torah, every letter in the Torah, is a vessel, a vehicle for the infinite. Every letter in the Torah contains God's infinite self. It totally transcends the mind and totally transcends human comprehension and human intellect or even, even angelic comprehension. It completely transcends the entire universe. And yet every word and letter in the Torah is able to grasp, is able, is, is reflects God's infinite self. And yet it's contained in simple language, a language that we can grasp. So when you're grasping the Torah, what you're truly grasping is with your human finite mind, you're grasping the infinite. That, that's astonishing. That doesn't exist when you study math or science or physics or any other wisdom. It's only by studying Torah. It's a paradox. The human mind is able to grasp something infinite. The finite mind is able to grasp something infinite and fully grasp the part of Torah able to grasp. But by grasping what the mind is able to grasp, by understanding a piece of Torah, a piece of Talmud, or a legal question, you're grasping the infinite. Which explains why a Jew gets so excited about studying Torah. Conventionally, who studies law? If you're planning to be a lawyer, you study law. If you're planning to be a judge, you study law. A person who has no ambition to become a lawyer, who has no interest in, be in becoming a judge, doesn't spend thousands of hours of his life, doesn't dedicate thousands of hours to study law. Yet a Jew, who's not a rabbi, who's not plan planning to become a dayan, a judge, 
will spend thousands of hours of his life studying Baba Kamer, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, Talmudic, legal questions have no relevance to your life. That has no application to your life. It's not connected to your life. And yet a Jew can't wait to wake up in the morning and to study with renewed enthusiasm and spend 18 hours a day to study and to, to learn because it's not just a question of studying law, intellectual exercise. It's not just a question of studying mathematics or physics, which gives you a tremendous intellectual reward. When you study Torah, you become connected, you become united. Your mind becomes united with the mind of God. You become inseparable from God. Your mind becomes the finite and the infinite merge. You become one with God. And a true master of the Torah, your mind starts thinking like the divine mind. That's why the true masters of the Torah, the true leaders of the Jewish people, the Moshe Rabbeinus of the Jewish people, the Moses of the generation their mind became one with the mind of God and therefore they looked at everything in life from, from a divine perspective. And when you study Torah, we, are, we, are, we absorb a lot more than just the conscious level. When you read a book, you're not just absorbing in the conscious level. You're also absorbing the author has invested his soul in that book. You're getting a lot more than just what you receive in the conscious level. Your soul, so to speak, is connecting with the soul of the author. And if the soul of the author happened to be a very rotten human being, <laughs> it will affect you. You, won't, you can't say it's, you're unscathed, it won't affect you. So imagine how much more so. When we study the Torah, the divine author, written by the divine author, so when we study Torah, it's a lot more is going on than just what's going on on the conscious level. That you understand the Torah, you appreciate it, it's deep, it's profound, it's interesting, it's stimulating, it's exciting. A lot more is going on. He invested himself in the Torah. It's his mind, it's his infinite divine mind. You're absorbing the holiness of the Torah. You're absorbing the infinite holiness of the Torah. So your soul is absorbing the infinite and, and it affects you positively. Your mind starts thinking in a divine way, in a godly way, you start seeing reality from a different perspective. There's a big difference if you study Torah, you don't study Torah. When you study Torah, your mind thinks differently. You see things in a purer way, in a clearer way, in a much more profound way, in a divine way. And that's the secret of the Jewish people. We're the, we're the people of the book. This is what preserved us thousands of years. God is speaking, He's a teacher, and we're learning. It's His words, His wisdom. And this elevates us above of the entire universe. When we study Torah, the universe ceases to exist. The world ceases to exist. What universe? What world? This is God's blueprint for reality. Before creation. This is God thinking to himself. So this precedes creation. Nothing exists. And therefore nothing affects us. And this is what keeps us fresh, keeps us vibrant, keeps us vigorous, and keeps us current and relevant, and keeps us youthful, we haven't seen anything yet. We've been around 3,800 years. Not only haven't we exhausted our energy, we haven't even scratched the surface. You don't just study Torah in order to go to heaven. When you study Torah, you are in heaven. Because you are united with God. That's the ultimate motivation for a Jew to study Torah. Not to fulfill the mitzvah of studying Torah, like you said, or even to be able to fulfill all the other mitzvahs. It's just the idea when you're studying Torah, you're lishma for its own sake, just to be united with God, to be connected with God, where your mind becomes completely one with God.
in a complete unity, in an absolute unity, much more so than through the mitzvot. And that's why the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the other mitzvot. That's why Torah study has always been way up there, has always been the number one priority. We're the people of the book. Of course, it's not enough to study Torah. You have to live the Torah, and you have to implement the Torah, and you have, you have to bring it into action. Every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah is holy. Captures the divine wisdom and the divine will and the divine essence. Infinite light. That's why every letter in the Torah is so sacred. If, a letter, if one letter in the Torah is missing, the entire Torah is invalid. One letter, the most seemingly insignificant letter, so it's scratched, so it's missing a little. The whole entire Torah is missing, is invalid. You can't read from it. Because every letter contains within it the infinite, the divine. And the level of Torah that we understand on a human conscious level is very external, is very superficial. Every letter in the Torah contains so much wisdom, so much infinite depth. And that's why a Jew approaches Torah with sanctity. It's sacred, it's holy. We're dealing with something that's essentially incomprehensible. But God enabled us to comprehend it on our level. But no matter how much we understand, no matter... Essentially, we're dealing with something that's incomprehensible, something that's infinite, something that every letter in the Torah, every word in the Torah contains the divine wisdom. You're studying the infinite. You're, st- you're studying Hashem Himself, His mind, His will. And your soul becomes united with the divine will, with the divine wisdom. You become inseparable from God. As time goes by, do we understand more? With time, Hashem has revealed to us more and more of His Torah. It's like a Russian doll. You, know, <laughs> you keep on opening it up and there's more and there's layers and layers and layers. So the, the Torah, like the analogy, the Torah is like, um, imagine describing a person. Right? How would you describe it? Some people we know very superficially. All you can say about them is, I can tell you what clothes they wear. Tell me the color of their eyes. I never look closely, I don't know. I can just give you a very vague impression, just externally, what I see. Another person took a closer look at the other person. He can tell you a little more. I can tell you the shape of their nose, the color of their eyes. I can tell you something a little more about them. Not just the clothes they're wearing, something about their body, something about them. But then ask them, tell me a little about the personality, about the character. I have no idea. I can just tell you, describe them, their nose and their eyes and the, the height and Tell me something about something a little deeper. I have no idea. Then you go a little deeper, someone who knows them a little better. Tell me about the personality. What gets them angry? What gets them mad? What gets them excited? They're a nice person. So someone can tell me a little about the character. But then I want to know what kind of mind do they have? How do they think? That that takes a good friend who really knows them very well to go a little deeper. Now, even if you know someone very well, you want to go a little deeper. Tell me a little about the subconscious. Tell me something that's going on inside. I don't know. And so it goes layer upon layer. Now, does that mean that the first level is a lie? No, the first level is a truth. It's a very superficial. But underneath that, the clothes reflect the personality. Tell me something about the personality. The personality reflects a certain way of thinking. The way of thinking reflects a certain inner subconscious. I mean, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. So too the Zohar says... The Zohar refers to the stories in the Torah as the clothes of the Torah, the outer clothes. 
They're all true. Every letter in the Torah is true. Every word in the Torah, every story that happened is literally true. But it's the outer clothes. If someone suffices by just studying the stories of the Torah and reading, wow, this is a nice story, an interesting story, it's a true story, and it's an exciting story. That's very superficial. Then another person takes a little deeper. What are the morals I can learn from this story? How can I become a better person? What's the Torah teaching me? This is already a person getting to know the body. I can tell you something more, the color of the eyes, the shape of the nose. Then you go deeper and deeper, the Talmud, and then you go to Kabbalah. Tell me something about the personality, the character. Strip away another layer, get a little deeper. And then you have Hasidus, which goes, let me, let me get to the subconscious, let me get to the core, the essence of this person, what it's all about. So at, with time, Hashem has revealed more and more of the Torah, the secrets of the Torah. But nevertheless, the Baal Shem Tov said, it says in the 19th Psalm, and we recite it every Shabbat morning, King David says, Torah Hashem Tamima, the Torah of Hashem is whole and complete. So the Baal Shem Tov said, that after thousands of years of studying Torah, the Torah remains whole, complete, untouched. Despite all our understanding and all our brilliance and building on the previous understanding, like the midget standing on the shoulders of the giant and we're constantly growing in our understanding, as much as we understand, the Torah remains whole, complete, untouched, as if we never opened. Because don't forget, it's infinite. Since every word and every letter of the Torah and every story of the Torah and every Torah portion contains the infinite, contains Hashem, so we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even started. And that's why we read the Torah every week with a renewed enthusiasm. How many times could you read the same story? Over and over. We've been reading it for 3,300 years. And yet every Shabbat, a new zest, a new enthusiasm. If we're discovering something brand new, Every time we finish a Torah scroll, we write a new Torah. It's a brand new Torah. Because you're dealing here with the infinite. That's why a Jew has such a sacred, holy respect for the Torah. Every word in the Torah. Every letter in the Torah. It's not just brilliance. We approach the Torah with holiness. And that's why we have a respect for the earlier rabbis, the early authorities. Why we can't dispute an early authority. Because, yes, maybe we are more brilliant than them because we have more information than them. We are the midgets and they are the giants, but we are the midgets standing on the shoulders of the giants. We see a lot more. We're 38, 300 years later. We have the benefit of all that learning and all that discussion. But nevertheless, they are the giants. They are the authorities because they, are, they were holier than us. They were holy people. They were holy Jews. Why, and, why were they holy? Because they were closer, one generation closer to Sinai, one generation closer to the source. They were just holier people. They felt godliness. They were just holier people than we were. They were like spiritual giants in comparison to us. Therefore, when they studied Torah, they felt the sanctity of studying Torah. It wasn't intellectual access. And because they felt the sanctity of, of Torah study more than we do, therefore, they were able to get to the truth of the Torah a lot more than we do. We may be more brilliant. We have more information at our, at our fingertips. But they have a certain divine assistance that we don't have. Because they were closer to the divine. Because they were godlier people. Therefore, every letter, every word they studied was such sanctity. Therefore, Hashem helped them. They had the divine assistance that every letter of theirs, every word of theirs is, is, is genuine. And that's why we have a tremendous respect for the previous generation. 
And, and the latter generations can't argue with an authority of the previous generation. The Achreinim can't argue with the Rishonim. And Amorah can't argue with the Tana. Because we know that there was a saint, there was a holiness there that they had that we don't have, that we lack. They're, they're the spiritual giants and we're the spiritual midgets. And that's why we, we can't argue with them, but we are the midgets standing on the shoulders of the giants. So we see a lot further than they do because we're building on everything that they've accomplished. That doesn't mean we're more brilliant. Of course not. Of course not. Are you kidding? If they had, if they knew what we know today... With their minds, they, they would have... Don't forget, they had nothing. And, and there's, there's, there's no question. Don't forget the books that we have because they had nothing to... It was very difficult to write. Can you imagine if they had the computer? How prolific they would have been? How much they would have accomplished? We have all this opportunity. Just We have nothing to write. <laughs> so when we study a Rashi, and let's say we don't understand it, we approach it with trepidation. Even our language, we don't say, well, I disagree with Rashi. I disagree with Rashi. You know what Rashi is? <laughs> Rashi, you know Rashi is? What a holy, holy Jew he was. I don't have the merit to understand what he's saying. So I'll bust my head and break my head and I'll, with Ashi, I'll pray. And I'll go to the mikvah and I'll pray hard and I'll, I'll work my head off. And then with the, the, Hashem will open my eyes. And I'll begin to taste the sweetness of what Rashi is saying. I'll begin to understand the depth and the brilliance and the sweetness and the, and the accuracy of what Rashi is saying. There's a healthy respect when you open a word of Torah and or even the oral tradition from a, a holy rabbi who wrote something in Torah. This is the divine wisdom you're dealing with. This is, not, this is not a chess game. Mathematics, let me figure this out logically and rationally. You're dealing here with something sacred and something divine, something ultimately that's infinite and intact, and whole, and incomprehensible. And Hashem enabled us to understand some of it. And therefore, when you approach it that way, then you have the divine assistance to be able to come to the truth, to understand really what the Torah says. Because otherwise, people use the Torah as a platform for their own brilliance, or arrogance, or abri, and they start interpreting things in the Torah that are simply not true, and distorting things in the Torah. Because, it just, because the Torah to them is just an intellectual exercise and just a tool to show how brilliant they are. This reminds me of a beautiful story of Hillel Parich. Hillel Parich never saw the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. Once, once in his life he heard his voice because he heard so much about the Alter Rebbe that he decided he must see him. But every town he came to see him, he missed him. He just missed him. Like the Alter Rebbe just left. This happened time and time again. Finally, he got smart. He found out the Alter Rebbe's itinerary and he made it to the town before the Alter Rebbe came. But there was going to be a big crowd to see him. How is he going to get his audience? So he hid under the table where the Alter Rebbe is going to speak. And he prepared some questions in the Talmudic tractate of Erechim. Erechim is a Talmudic tractate that explains the laws in the Torah. At the end of the book of Numbers, it says, if a person takes upon himself that I'm going to pay the value of a person. So depending on the age of the person, depending if it's a, man, a male, a female, then the age, if it's to the age of 30, the age of 50, beyond, 
he has a certain price. So that's the amount that you have to give to tzedakah. So if you say, if his value, I take upon myself his value, he has to give, whether it's three shekels or whatever it is, the different ages of different groups. So there's a Talmudic tractate on these laws, a whole Talmudic tractate called Erech. And he had, he, the Rebbe's reputation preceded him, the Rebbe was a brilliant, the most brilliant mind in Eastern Europe, Talmudic scholar, he wrote the, the Code of Jewish Law, and he wanted to ask him he had this question that bothered him no one was able to answer and he prepared these questions Dr. Rebbe walks into the room he sits down before he has a chance he planned, his plan was he's going to poke his head up and say I have a question for you before he had a chance to say anything Dr. Rebbe said a young man a young man that has a question in the Talmudic tractate Erechim, first he has to be Meirech himself. Meirech means he has to first evaluate himself. Erechim is all about evaluation. Let him first evaluate himself. Rav Hilop realized what Alter Rebbe said, he fainted. <laughs> and no one realized he was under the table. No one even could revive him. By the time he came to himself, Alter Rebbe left town. And that was it. <laughs> so he never saw the Alter Rebbe. But this was the only time in his life that he heard. And this is what Alter Rebbe was telling that yes, the Torah is logical and it's brilliant, especially the Talmudic tractate Erechim. It's brilliant. And you have one question, and if you read, you study the Talmud, and those who really get into the Talmud, you have five different ways of answering one question. Maimonides approaches the Talmudic, Talmudic passage this way, and the Rajba approaches it this way, and then Nachmanides approaches it. And it's just fascinating. It's brilliant. It's just, there's no, there's the pleasure that it gives you just to study Torah. The different understanding and there's different approaches. It's just, it's just incredible. But ultimately, you have to remember that you're dealing with something divine, godly, infinite, inexplicable. Just like the laws of Erech. How do you explain it logically? Everyone at this age, the age of 30, has one price, has one value. The biggest shmendrik and the most valuable, valuable person in the community who contributes. And yet the Torah says they all have the same value. In other words, you're dealing here with the infinite because in comparison to the infinite, to Hashem, a billion, a trillion, a zillion is not one iota closer to infinity than one. To Hashem, the greatest, as we learned earlier in, in chapter 18, the greatest and the smallest is all the same. So they all have the same value. The one who makes the greatest contribution and the one who seems to be meaningless, his whole being and existence seems to be meaningless if not counterproductive. And yet Hashem says they all have the same value. So you know, you're dealing here with something that's infinite, something that's totally beyond human comprehension, beyond spiritual comprehension. You're dealing here with Hashem Himself. So when a Jew studies Torah, you have to remember that with all the understanding and with all our ability that Hashem enabled us to understand, ultimately we should never forget that the Torah remains intact and whole as if we've never even scratched the surface, as if we've never even unwrapped it yet, because it's infinite. And therefore you approach the Torah with a tremendous sense of holiness, of sacredness. I'm about to become one with the essence of God. I'm about to become one with the will and the wisdom of God Himself. Pre-creation, before the world, the world doesn't exist, nothing exists, all there is is God. And I am becoming one with Him. And therefore you approach the Torah with holiness, not just an intellectual excellence. And therefore you can't become arrogant, the Torah can't make you arrogant. How can I become arrogant? The Torah could only make you humble. Like Moshe received the Torah, was the most humble person that lived. Every bit of Torah that he learned made him, humbled him. Made him a more refined person. The closer you get to God, the more unified you become with God, the more egoless you become. 
then you know that you're tr- truly studying Torah Lishma for its own sake. And that it's something very divine and godly and special is happening these days. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky <laughs>